Welcome to Worldwide Bible Study, The Life of Jacob with Martin Luther, studying Genesis 28 still, just coming out of the, uh, Jacob is about to wake up from this dream that he has of the ladder. Uh, I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, St. Paul and Jesus, Death, Lutheran Churches. Let's get into it here. Oh, uh, I, look, I was studying and going back, and so let me see if I can, let me get if I can restart here uh life of jacob with luther here we go so um there we are this is where we want to be right here right here that's it uh so here's the here's the last promise that we have uh this is this is really uh martin luther he puts what words in the lord's mouth he does this a lot. He's, he's amplifying what the Lord is saying. Know for sure that you will have descendants. Now you are alone. Remember, I mean, Jacob's there in the wilderness by himself with a rock as a pillow. I mean, he's got nothing. And uh, he has no wife. He's 77 years old. He has no children. He has no home. You are exiled. But later... You shall have children's children, and that son who will make children of God. It's going to be great if we get to it. I hope we do get to it. There's this great point that comes in later where Luther is going to say uh, that it's the son who's saying these things to Jacob. In other words, Jacob, the, Jesus is there before he was named Jesus, and he says, uh, <laughs> how, how would it go? Uh, you will have me as your child. So the children, 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 children that lead to the son, well, who's the one who's giving this promise is the son himself. It's great. Therefore, this is a glorious promise, not only for this present life, although it embraces this too, but also for the life to come. For if he must fill the four parts of the world, he must by no means have died, or if he dies, he will be it will be necessary for him to be brought back to life. This is, goes back to this teaching of Jesus where he says, God is not the God of the dead, but the living. And that's in the context of him being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this promise then is that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will also live, will live eternally, will continue to live on even after this life is over. It's, it's quite wonderful. Indeed, uh, accordingly, it's a great and sublime promise. Indeed, it's greater than Jacob was able to comprehend. Just as we cannot embrace its greatness either without our hearts, for the human heart is too narrow. <laughs> Luther's going to get, um, in some ways, kind of stuck on this idea today. He, he's really, you know, he'll, he'll sort of riff. I, I suppose we all do the same when we're teaching and we, we hit on a phrase that we really love. Luther right here is going to hit on a phrase that he's going he's gonna to really come back to. The human heart is too narrow, that, that God is so great. And give gives gifts so big that we cannot receive them. We cannot comprehend them. We can receive them. That's enough. We cannot comprehend the greatness of them. It's it's too much for us. The human heart is too narrow to be able to comprehend and take hold of it. I think that I think that after the patriarch Jacob had been awakened from his sleep, he was drenched to such an extent with joy and gladness. When he thought about this promise and was all together beside himself, thunderstruck, ecstatic, 
because the Lord had given such things. But this should be applied to our use. And this is great. This is where, I mean, Luther all the time is applying this stuff. But but here's where we really can rejoice that we're reading this with Luther, because he's going to say, well, okay, what is all this? Here the Lord stood above the ladder and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. You shall spread abroad. That's that unique Hebrew word, baritz, uh, to the west and to the east, etc. I will be with you. So, so the Lord speaks these words. Luther says, "Okay, but what for? You know how how can we take them? How can we apply this for our use, in order that we may acknowledge the magnitude of God's grace, which has been revealed and given to us through the gospel? For we are absolved." Through the word and on the authority of Christ, we are told, I baptize you. I extend to you the body and blood of Christ. I tear your soul by force from the power of the devil. <laughs> That's this by force. I set you free from eternal death and damnation. I make you a child of God and an heir of eternal life. Now, this is this is Luther summarizing how the gospel comes to us. And, and how we receive it. I, I, th- I want to maybe highlight this. That do you see, do, here Luther is in talking about Jacob. And look, he's talking about baptism. He's talking about the Lord's Supper. But he doesn't say the Lord's Supper. I mean, he'll say the Lord's Supper, the sacrament of the altar plenty of times. But look, he says the body and the blood. So I baptize you. I extend you the body and blood of Christ. I tear your soul by force from the power of the devil. That's Luther um, honing in again on the unique words of the promise here and, and using it to shape the gospel. But imagine this. I mean, we're born in captivity to the devil, and the Lord says, nope, boom, you belong to me. And he tears by force our soul. He rescues us by force from the strength of the devil. The Lord is the deliverer here, the one who breaks through, remember? I set you free from eternal death and damnation. I make you a child of God, an heir of eternal life. These words which God speaks to us are so grand, eternal, and infinite that we cannot grasp them, for my nature is too weak to be able to endure them. They're too good to be able even to... It's like the glory of God. It's like the vision of God's holiness. We're just we're not equipped for the, for the endurance of that kind of glory. This weakness draws us back and hinders us, so we don't feel such great joy and gladness that these words and divine promises really bring. We are not, um, we do not have the capacity to fully tune in to the gifts that God gives. If I could take hold of them as I desire and wish, or even as they are, it would not at all, it would not at all it would be not at all strange if i suddenly expired for joy there's a we we've, we've had this a few times uh, as we've been reading jacob with luther where luther says look if if you could really get the gospel if you could really if you could really grab a hold of the gifts that god is giving in the gospel you would die wah black to be over because it's just it's that good it's that wonderful it it was it's so awe-inspiring that it would it's overwhelming (laughs) expire for joy i love it
here it is expire for joy for, for think what uh for think what a great thing it is that by the word of a man and the laying on of the hands the kingdom of god is announced and bestowed likewise victory against the devil sin and death and that one is put into the company of the angels and into the possession of heavenly and eternal blessings but how few there are who believe these things as they should, much less do we comprehend them, but we only take a hold of them in one way or another, just a tiny little piece of the goodness that, that God wants to give to us. Yet they're completely true, and surely we must die in this faith, otherwise we shall fall from our salvation and not remain safe and sound against the devil for even one moment. Now, this language of falling from salvation is a I suppose this is a theological topic. The Calvinists have made it one of their articles of faith is that it's impossible to lose your salvation or to fall from it. That's the P in their tulip, total depravity, uh, unconditional election, limited atonement. I is irresistible grace and P is the perseverance of the saints. That all those who are elect and who are given the gift of faith, the Lord will preserve to the end. This is not the biblical teaching or, um, therefore, our, our Lutheran doctrine, we understand that the scriptures give warnings of apostasy and of losing the faith and so forth. This is what uh, Luther's talking about here, and it really is a reflection of Galatians. If you seek to be justified by your own works, you've fallen from grace. That's the danger. So we want to hold on to, uh, to the faith, take hold of the promise. That's how we are safe. So that we don't, we're not worried. Um, we're not worried about. Uh, we're not worried about not getting into heaven because we're not good enough. Our concern is being too good. In other words, claiming a righteousness of our own. More on that in a few minutes. Let's keep going. For he rages. Uh, let's see. Otherwise, we shall fall from Not retain safe and sound against the devil for even a moment. For he, the devil, rages horribly. When he hears that this is taught in this way, and he persecutes those who preach it or who listen to the doctrine and embrace it. But we should listen with grateful hearts and with joy. Our, our safety then, and, and this is, and this is um, I don't know if it's unique to Luther. I, I'm going to say it might be unique to Luther. That what is the chief thing that we do to stay safe against the devil? We listen. That listening, that faith is is really a particular kind of of listening. That we hear the Lord's word, and that we're we're preserved in that word. We should listen with grateful hearts and with joy, and we should believe, at least weekly. Only let us not fight against it, blaspheme, persecute, reject, and deny. This is the danger: is that we we throw the word out. I don't want it. The reason why we do not comprehend it firmly and perfectly lies in the wretchedness of our flesh and in the narrowness of our heart, which cannot grasp, there it is again, the narrowness of the heart, which cannot grasp that incomprehensible glory. Thus, Paul says, 2 Corinthians 9, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. We just can't get there. We can't, we don't have the capacity to grab onto the goodness of the grace of God. Nevertheless, we toil and exhort, our, exert, exert ourselves that we may finally comprehend it and may, uh, 
as we have been comprehended by the grace of God. Of course, we hold it in our grasp as much as we can with a weak faith, and we must rest content with the consolation that God commands that he who is weak in faith should be welcomed. In other words, that's all of us, Luther is saying. All of us are weak in faith. All of us cannot get there. All of us are too, we just don't have that capacity for grasping onto the goodness of God. It's like it's like going to the gym and and the guy who's lifting 700 pounds says, hey, can you spot me? And we say, nope. <laughs> I mean, it's just too much. We can't handle it. The Lord, ha- try, the Lord hands us uh, his his 300 pound gift and we dropped we just don't for the law of my members resists uh, resists in us and makes war and takes me captive and does not permit me to take a hold of so many great blessings more firmly for god promises and gives an inexpressible treasure what's that the forgiveness of sins eternal life the grace of god the inheritance of heavenly blessings victory power to trample the devil underfoot, Romans 16. <laughs> you want to just, you're going to jot this down? The treasures that God gives, what are those treasures? Forgiveness of sins, wow. Eternal life, wow. His grace, the inheritance of heavenly blessings, victory, the power to trample the devil underfoot. Whew. This is, can you imagine if, you said, "What's hey? What what are you gonna get for Christmas this year?" Well, I, I'm getting one, two, three, four, five, six gifts. Here they are. Who could imagine? Therefore, must I, wretched little man and worm that I am, fight against so many angels, against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness? Indeed, without the sword of the flesh, without strength, without wisdom, without power, how? Faith. Believe in the seed of Abraham, the son of God. This faith is our victory, which overcomes the world, vanquishes the devil, destroys the gates of hell. Faith, hearing, remember, to hear, to listen, to hear what God says and to believe it. But it is still a slender grasping. See that? A tiny spark of faith. Therefore, in that slender grasping, why so slender? Because our hearts are narrow, remember? So we're we're working on this theme here of slender, slender grabbing, narrow hearts, slice of gifts. It does not appear how great the thing we believe is. But it will one day. One day we'll see the greatness of it. May the Lord grant that we endure in faith to the end. Uh, Luther's going to keep pressing here. Accordingly, this is a twofold promise concerning the seed of Jacob. So back to the promise that the Lord is giving on the ladder here to Jacob in whom all the nations uh, of the earth are to be blessed. That is, a promise concerning Christ. So here, what are the two promises here? Uh, Number one, the promise concerning Christ, which he includes in the temporal promise, is one that is less significant. Just as a child is wrapped in rags, a gem is inserted in gold, or a precious treasure is kept in an earthen container. So the temporal promise is the second one. So the first promise is the is Christ, and the second promise is the temporal promise. Remember, we discussed in um, in classes past how we we have this the the promise given to Israel is like the seed is like the wheat that grows in the field, and so you you're given the land, 
and you're given the family this wheat field this is what a field of wheat looks like this is basically it i know it's astonishing that this is a drawing you guys thought i pulled up a picture this is a field of wheat right so you have the promise of the land and you have the promise of the of the nation of all the people and all of that is for what for the seed that one seed a singular seed the seed and this seed is christ and so the promise of the nation and the promise of the land is all in service to the promised seed there and this is the eternal promise and these are the temporal promises see and so the temporal promise is given but it's the less significant promise and it's one of the problems of the pharisees the pharisees were boasting in these promises and forgetting that the main thing was this one uh the temporal blessing is great and rich enough but the one about raging into the world is greater that raging into the world is that uh, uh, pa uh parits or yeah parits this uh the word that we're the spreading abroad the breaking out there he repeats the temporal blessing and binds it up to a little bundle with this temporal promise concerning the descendants. For he says, and behold, I'm with you, etc. You have the eternal promise and the temporal one concerning your descendants. Now I shall add this third point. I'll be with you on this journey and during this exile, so far as your person is concerned, and I'll even protect you yourself. For in order that the things that I have promised may be fulfilled, you must live, be protected. Your brother Esau is plotting against you. The devil hates you when you sleep and when you're awake. But I want to walk with you and I will be your companion. Oh, what a desirable and stout companion. Uh, I, I think of, you know, in the in the ancient world, I mean, even in the just the very pre-modern world, if you were going somewhere, journeying somewhere, it wasn't so safe. Um, so we read about these pilgrimages and you go with people. Uh, there's a uh, we, we were doing the Luther pilgrim in Italy uh, last year and the companion that Luther had and you almost die almost whenever you go anywhere like that you you it's it's like part of the trip is you have to almost die and Luther almost died his companion almost died they all almost die just because it's dangerous to go anywhere so here's Jacob on his own out in the wilderness sleeping on a rock and the Lord says hey I'm with you I'm with you I will not only go with you to ex, uh, escort, escort you, but I will be your wall, your protector. I will fight for you. I, oh, here it is. This is the thing I was telling you about. I, who am to be your son from your seed, through whom all the families of the earth will be blessed, I will be with you. I will shield you and protect you. <laughs> so the son, so the seed that's coming, is the one who's with him. <laughs> Can you? Oh, this is so great. So who's the one who's giving this promise? Uh, uh, I, the Lord God of Abraham, in your seed, it is the seed who is giving the very promise of the seed. <laughs> it's the same in the garden. When Jesus comes to talk to Adam and Eve, and he says, your seed, which is me, will crush his head. 
so great. This is certainly a great consolation, uh, which Jacob clings to and believes. But he does so with a faith that's weak enough, we shall hear below, when he's plagued with very grievous trials and with an outward appearance completely contrary to the other things God has promised. Again, a theme. Outwardly, everything looks to be contrary, completely contrary to what has been promised. So we're walking by faith and not by sight. What's the promise? You're going to have a land. What does he see? He's in exile. What's the promise? You're going to have children and children's children. What does he see? He's a single 77-year-old childless man. What's the promise? You're going to be the inheritor of all these things. What does he see? A rock for a pillow. And not now. It's going to keep going. It's not just this moment. It's not like he's going to wake up and everything's going to be fixed. For he'll be compelled to suffer and bear wrongs and annoyances from Laban for 20 years. I thought it was 14. We'll see how Luther gets there. This is not keeping, uh, this is not keeping watch day and night, is it? Nevertheless, God kept uh, kept his promise, and eventually the outcome was in accord, although according to the flesh, the opposite seemed to happen. Therefore, it's an extraordinary promise. And as I've stated before, it should be carefully considered, for in the legends of the fathers, and here we hear legend as fake story. Uh... It should not be understood here in Luther that way. Just the stories, the, the history. In the history of the fathers, the legends of the fathers, special attention must be paid to the part in which they hear God speaking. Why? What's the other option? We can look at the works of the fathers, or we can look at the words of God. And it's it's our... It's our... Um, temptation i suppose it's the temptation of the of the theology works fathers it's the uh it's our temptation to look at these deeds in fact we remember it was rick warren he says christianity is about deeds not creeds it's about works not words it's about love, not faith. But here we learn, no, no, the main thing, I mean, this is, the, the, the deeds are fine, but the main thing is the words that God speaks. That's where we have to put our focus. The, the special attention must be paid to the part in which they hear God speaking. For our life consists in the internal sanctity and let's hone in on this word right here. I wish I knew the, I need to look at the German. This, because the word sanctity, this is, let's call this holiness or think of it maybe in terms of righteousness. But it consists in the internal sanctity, which is the word or the blessing applied to us. Now, it's interesting that Luther says here that's the internal because it doesn't belong to us but it is applied to us. So this is the alien righteousness of God. It's the word of God, which is applied. It does not consist, our life does not consist, even as even the best among our adversaries contend, 
in our works. So here Luther's going to break into a beautiful distinction, a discussion of the distinction between law and gospel. He says, now what is our life? And there's going to be two sanctities, two righteousnesses, two holinesses, two ways of life. There's the external word, which gives us internal holiness. And then there's our works, the external holiness. Luther says, we do not deny that good works must be done. Are good works necessary? There was a big controversy that broke out in the um, after Luther died amongst the Lutheran uh, theologians about the necessity of good works. In fact, I can draw a chart. That's a good chart to draw. Um, because some took especially some quotes from Luther, and they and they started teaching that good works were not only not necessary, but that good works were dangerous. And so, um, and so this came, this came up. Are good works necessary? Is there a must of good works? And there's two ways to say it, and here's how they came down. Are good works necessary? For salvation? Answer, no. That's not the case. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. Good works are not necessary for salvation, but good works are necessary from salvation. In other words, when the Lord saves us, then good works follow. So the direction is not this way. Uh, let me draw the error. In. It's not like this good works necessary for salvation, but rather this way, salvation, then good works necessarily follow. Okay. So good, work, yeah, uh, good works are there. Yeah. So uh, we do not deny that good works must be done. That the, and what are the good works here? Let's take, it, take a look at it. One, that the body must be castigated. That's mortification. We don't talk much about this. Uh, that the lust of the flesh must be resisted. We, we for whatever reason, we, this is kind of out of fashion. The, the discipline in our bodies and the avoiding of um, of lust and remembering that lust shows up in every commandment. We mostly think of sixth commandment lust. There's a, a fifth commandment lust, which is rage, and there's a seventh commandment lust, which is greed and so forth. The world, of course, is taken in by this hypocrisy and by the outward appearance, the outward appearance of the works. See, here's the outward as opposed to the inward here. In order that they may remove the word of God from sight. Human folly cannot distinguish between the word of God and our work. Yet this distinction is easily and decidedly necessary. But for hypocrites, it's difficult and impossible not to understand, but to take a hold of. Our adversaries, and who are the hypocrites, the worldly, etc.? Luther's going to take his, this, our adversaries. That's going to be the, well, who do you think he means by adversaries here? I mean, normally, he's just going to mean the Pope, etc. Sometimes he means the Anabaptists, etc. Sometimes he means the devil. Here, the formal righteousness, this is the Catholics. Our adversaries cry out that a formal righteousness of works is needed. This, this goes back to 
medieval Catholic theology. This the world admires. In other words, it works as needed for salvation, unto salvation. This the, uh, this the world admires. But is this enough? Even if you praise a man to me altogether saintly, to be sure, the works of the saints are great, praiseworthy, and we admit that love is necessary, that one must abstain from evil lusts, that the flesh must be mortified, etc. But you do not do this, they say. Yeah, he, Luther says, look, I'm, I'm doing it right here. I'm saying it right here. But even if we were to do all this, we would not be righteous on this account, would we? Why do you extol and admire this so much? Surely in order that you may suppress that other divine sanctity. In other words, um, there's a, Luther is pointing out that there's a, I'm going to look at you guys for this, that there's a logic to works righteousness. Um, and it's a demonic logic. It's of the flesh and of the world, but it's it's built in there, and it it goes like this: that um, that I don't want the the alien righteousness of the gospel, <clears throat> and so I'm going to I'm gonna I'm gonna replace it with with my own righteousness, with my own formal righteousness of works, and the the result is that I can exclude the word of God. Luther is not just saying that that's what happens. It is what happens, but he's saying that's the motivation behind it. It's the motivation for works righteousness is that I want to have a righteousness of my own. This is, this is what our flesh, this is what our flesh desires. Does that make sense? Um, I'm looking at the chat to see if it makes sense. And I see that I've been missing things. Someone, if someone can give me a summary of what I've missed on the chat, that'd be great. Sorry, I haven't been paying attention. Okay, well, a little bit more from Luther. Yeah, uh, uh, that you may suppress. This word suppress reminds us of Romans chapter one, which says that even though the things of God are known, that the mind of the flesh suppress. This is an active suppression. To be sure, we concede that there is a righteousness of works. It's fine. Yeah, of course. But we concede this in such a way that it is not preferred to the former righteousness, that is the righteousness of faith. And that a distinction is made between precious and cheap, <laughs> greater and lesser. What's the greater, precious, uh, priceless righteousness? That's the righteousness of faith. The distinction is necessary both in the whole life and especially this doctrine. Indeed, the dumb animals understand. There's a difference among foods a dog understands that meat's better than bread. Therefore, let the sanctity of works be something. Fine, bread. Let it be necessary. Fine. But we want the sanctity of the word, the righteousness of the gospel, to be exalted above it and to be preferred to it. That is the sanctity of the promise. See it here? Oh, it's great. The sanctity of the promise, the holiness of the forgiveness of sins, the gospel. We live before God, not by a formal and intrinsic sanctity, 
but by the sanctity of the word and faith. This is our basic distinction between law and gospel. How do we stand before God? Not by, by the strength of our own works and by, uh, by our own righteousness, no. But by his promise and by the forgiveness of sins. Whew. Okay. Therefore, one should make a proper distinction. Remember when um, Timothy says this to, Paul says this to Timothy, and uh, our teacher, Dr. Walther, puts this together in a beautiful book. I've been thinking about, I really like the life of Jake. I love studying Luther's commentary, but I've been wondering about if it would be worthwhile doing a study like this of law and gospel. That'd be a lot of fun. The proper distinction between law and gospel. It's a beautiful book. Everyone should should read it. And there's a nice reader's edition um, that's available too. Mine is not here. This, uh, namely that the sanctity of works is one thing. And that the sanctity of the word is another, is something else. The latter sanctity conquers the devil and makes me a child of God. The latter, that's the sanctity of the word. So what does this, uh, what does this word do? Uh, this word conquers the devil. This word makes me a child of God. This word forgives my sins, etc. This does not take place because of the sanctity of the flesh or works, not even in the Decalogue. That's the Ten Commandments in which we do not even comprehend that sanctity for we have only some beginnings of it. This is a, I can't emphasize this thing enough is that when we talk of our, um, when we talk of our works, the holiness of the flesh, it's only begun. Love is only begun. Obedience to parents only begun care for the neighbor only begun love for God. It's only begun, just started, never complete, never even halfway. We're always taking the first steps of love baby the baby steps of love we're always maybe we could say you remember the baby when they are they're learning how to crawl did your did you, this is a good picture i just thought of it what our andrew when he was a baby when he was starting to crawl he was he would crawl backwards <laughs> he was trying to go forward he was trying to get to whatever was in front of him a football or whatever and he would end up going backwards. That's how we love. <laughs> we're trying. It's we're we're making the baby steps, but it don't, we don't, we can't get there. That's it's always just started. It's always just the first steps. That's not where our hope lies. It's not where our confidence is. We just have the beginning of it. This then should be the first and chief proclamation. It should what what's that? First and chief proclamation, the sanctity of the word, the righteousness of faith, the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, justification. That's what this is. It should not be underestimated. Thus, our adversaries insidiously urge the sanctity of works in order to obscure the sanctity of the word or faith. Hmm. Hmm. Do you see this? That 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 works and the righteousness of works is put there to in order to obscure the sanctity of the word. We praise that Luther says, look, we you can have both. It's not an either or. You can have both the righteousness of the law and the righteousness of the gospel. You just have to make sure that the righteousness of the gospel is the righteousness that's given for salvation, the righteousness that prevails before the throne of God, the righteousness that we claim on the judgment day. 
And we don't um, put the righteousness of works above that because it ends up obscuring the righteousness of the word. We praise the virtue of the patriarchs. We've been doing that for a long time here with Luther, studying Jacob. Their modesty, patience, humility, chastity, their love, the pilgrimage undertaken with obedience to God. We teach and imitate other services of godliness. We talk about love and works. No problem. Nevertheless, we should have far greater preference for this when God speaks with them. It's fine to look at the love that they have, to look at the works that they have, to look at their patience. We we spent a long time talking about Jacob and the martyrdom of chastity. Remember, that's how this whole thing started. How, how or, uh, with Isaac even, how Isaac was, how old was I, 30 years old before he was married and so forth. And we ta- had a long, there's all these things. We Look, we extol these great fathers. It's great. But the main thing is when God speaks. To listen to God's word when he promises and blesses is different from hearing a commandment when you are ordered to do or to suffer something. That's There's a different kind of word. There's a different word with a different kind of hearing and a different result. This is, this, this is pretty... Um, really nice basic law gospel stuff. Let's do a blackboard again. What are the different words? And how do we hear them differently? And what are the different results? So one word is a command. And how do we keep the command? Answer, by doing, by obedience, by following the command. And the other is the word of promise. And how do we keep the promise? By believing. By faith. So you have the command and you have the promise and one is kept by uh, by action, by external righteousness, uh, by the works of the law. This is works. And this is faith. And what's the result of works? Well, hopefully... Uh, the neighbor is blessed. That's what, or we endure with patience. But what's the result of faith? Salvation. So that this is, these are totally different words from God. And, and, And they are heard differently. They are responded to differently. And they have different results. The Lord speaks both of them. The Lord gives us both the commands and the promise. But look, here, it's fine. We have the commands and the promises. We have both. You have to listen to the command. But we give preference to the promise. The Lord gives preference to the promise. So we don't have a choice about that. Oh, this is so great. It's clear and manifest enough that there's difference between the word which promises and the commandment which orders us to do something. Again, basic distinction between law and gospel. Therefore, the legends of the saints, remember the stories of the saints, and of and uh, all life should be divided into these two parts, the word of God and our work. The former belongs to God alone. The latter is ours, namely, love, patience, 
castigating and crucifying of the flesh, mortification. Remember, we should, we should, by the way, talk about that because whenever we talk about, for whatever reason, we talk about uh, love and good works, we normally talk about love. We rarely talk about suffering. <laughs> but this is, <laughs> I'll, I'll do another chart. I, I like this chart. Luther, um, this is the, the the divide up the Bible game that Luther invented. Oh, I just looked at the time. Whee. Luther says, okay, when you're reading a Bible passage, you you need to, you, you can have four pouches and and you have a theology side and you have a life side. And when it comes to the theology side, and, and he basically says, you get a Bible passage there and you can, he, I think he even had the idea of like writing a Bible passage on a scrap of paper and having these things and the kids have to pick where they think to go. And on the theology side, you had two doctrines. You had the law, which shows our sin, that shows who we are in relationship to God. And then you have the gospel, which forgives sins and shows us Christ and forgiveness of sins. And then on the life side, here's where it's interesting. I mean, this is great over here, but on the life side, you had love, which is the positive part of what we are supposed to do to the neighbor. And then you had suffering, which is the negative part. And this suffering is twofold. The first is what we endure from the world and the what the world brings to us. And the second is what we do to the flesh, this mortification of the flesh. Now, when we talk about, this is just my observation, kind of small observation, is that, is that there's a big fight now amongst the Lutherans it's like, hey, you, you can't just have the law gospel. You got to also talk about life and sanctification. Okay, fine. We, we just all, it's true. We just always are giving preference to, to this. But anyway, this is also true. But whenever people talk about sanctification, they really dwell here with the love that we have for the neighbor. And they say very little about this. That is patience and suffering. But this is, there's a relationship between these two pockets, between these two perspectives. So what does the law look like when it gets into the Christian life? It looks like love and service. What does the gospel look like when it gets into the Christian life? It looks like suffering. Okay. Enough of that. Um, where are we here? We got to make a little more progress because i'm supposed to get back there and eat some more quiche with the lwml ladies down in the parlor uh the former belongs to god always said that this is a life life of works it does not take hold of the sanctity of uh ah, here let's get let me get this here uh the former belongs to god alone the latter is ours namely love patience and the castigating and crucifying of the flesh this is a life so this is life love patience crucifying the flesh but it's a life of works. And it, our life of works, does not take hold of the sanctity of the word, which is the soul of life. So Luther has the picture is you have, if you have a body, 
if you have a body, and then you have a soul, let's draw a soul there, a heart. This is the body is works, but the soul is faith. The, the body is law, but the heart is gospel. God's word there. Woo! Therefore, the word has to precede, for it's a word and promise of God who blesses, promises, receives us into grace, forgives sins. This must proceed. Your sins are forgiven you. I am your God. Do not fear the devil. I am with you. I will protect you. I will not forsake you. This proceeds. This comes first. And then after the forgiveness of sins, this follows. Take up your bed. Go home. This proceeds. This comes first. Take heart, my son, that is first acknowledge me as propitious, the sacrifice that takes away sin, as placated, not mad anymore, as being favorable. God is smiling at us and is absolving you. All your sins are forgotten. First, receive my blessing in order that you may be freed from sin and death. And afterward, when you have been healed, take up your bed and walk, teach, do works, etc., etc., etc. So first comes the gospel and the forgiveness of sins. Then comes the command. So, after Jacob has first been strengthened in faith because of grace and the blessing, he walks, works, suffers, as stated in what follows, he awoke from his sleep. Ugh, it's so great. <laughs> so great. All right. Uh, I'm looking at the clock, so I think this is going to be a good spot to stop. I got a bunch to clear up in the chat. Uh, to talk about there too. So uh, let me sign up the video real quick. If you're watching this later, the recorded video of it, uh, try to join us live on Wednesday mornings. Wolfmuller.co slash Bible has all the information uh, and you can get all of that uh, there and see when to join us as well. Uh, it's a lot of fun to jump in and chat. And, and this is the fun part that's coming up next. So thanks. Uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you uh, give us these two words of law and gospel. We pray that you would... Uh, Grant us by your spirit to give this great preference to the inner sanctity of your word and promise, uh, and that love and suffering would rightly follow after, but that our faith would always be in you. Grant us this for the sake of Christ. Amen. Um.